How are you today? Good? Everyone all right? Okay. We're continuing in this series, Let, and Pastor John started this last week. And Let is a series where we're literally looking at scriptures that start with the word let, or the main emphasis of the verse is let. And as Pastor John was reading and studying in the scriptures over the last couple of years, he kept noticing this word come up. And oftentimes, it's an instruction for us as individuals to put into practice. And many times, it's for the church body. Instructions for us to put into practice as a body of Christ. And so, we're looking at all the instances in which we see let. And let can be a powerful word. And uh, last week, Pastor John started us off in Colossians 3.15, which says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. And so as believers, there's a peace in Jesus that's available to each of us. This peace is not dependent on life circumstances. It's not dependent on our successes. It's not even dependent on our challenges, right? It is something that we can have and experience because there's peace available through Jesus and what he has done for us. And so Pastor John did a great job showing us and teaching us that. But today we're going to look at the verses right after that, actually. We're not going very far. So if you want to open up to the book of Colossians in chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. And uh, let's look at what it says here. It starts with that word, let. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so this verse starts with this idea, with this statement, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Where do we find the message of Christ? Well, we find it in the scriptures. We find it in the word. We find it in the gospels. We find it in the epistles. We find prophecy about it all throughout the old covenant. Everything points towards Jesus and Jesus is coming. And we read about his message as we look into the scriptures. And how many of you know we need to have a love for God's word? Amen. We need to have a love for God's word. I remember one time when I was in Bible college, I was just a young youth pastor, and I was invited to a church to speak one weekend, and I was all excited about it, and as I was praying about what to teach on, I thought to myself, I'm going to talk about the word of God, and that we need to be passionate about it, and that we need to get into it, and that we need to make it a priority in our life. And I remember going into this church and trying to get them excited, and I would say things like, how many of you believe the word of God is useful for how you live? And everyone was like, amen, right? And people like that. How many of you think the word of God is living and active right now and can change you in this moment, and people, you know, we're kind of getting excited, and I, I would say something along the lines of, how many of you believe it judges the attitudes of our hearts, and has capacity to lead us in the ways of Christ, and I was trying to get the crowd kind of excited about it, I was trying to get them kind of motivated that day, and then I might have gotten just a little too bold for a young guy, okay, and I might have gotten just a little too eager, and so I said to the crowd, well, how about this? You guys seem excited about the word, passionate about the word. What if we do this? How about I'm going to call a couple of you up here to the stage today, okay? And I saw someone, I heard of someone doing this before. So I didn't just come up with this in the moment. But I said, how about I call a couple of you up here today, and for every single year you've been a Christian, okay? Can you give me one scripture verse that you've memorized for every year you've been a believer? 
okay? Every single year, right? So if you've been a believer five years, five verses. 10 years, 10 verses. 20 years, 20 verses. And all I want is the verse and the address. You gotta tell me where to find it, okay? And I, I said something like, you know, I'm so desperate, I'll take like Jesus wept, I'll take Jesus swept, like whatever, right? I'll, I'll take whatever's out there, right? Just give it to me. One verse for every year you've been a Christian. And the excitement in that room, which was there at the beginning, all of a sudden everything just went quiet, okay? And now granted, some people just don't like the public speak. And I bet you a lot of people could have probably done it and maybe just didn't want to jump out in front of a stage and, you know, have to go up there and recite a verse for every year they've been a Christian. But I think there's a point to it, though. And the neighborhood church, we value memorizing the, the text, right? We're going through that right now as a church body. And we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, amen? We need to be passionate about his word. We need, to, we need to look to it. We need to read it. We need to memorize it. We need to have it in our hearts. I remember in that morning after doing that, I was like, oh, this is kind of awkward, right? And look at your notes, young guy, right? And, uh, you know, but th I think the point remains that the word of God is worth exploring. It's worth digging into. It is deserving of our attention. And so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And let's just get right into this. If the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly, then we must be careful not to allow our own biases, our own desires, our own opinions, if I could say it like that, to get in the way of what the word is trying to say to us. But we need to approach the text with a desire to learn and to be instructed, not in our ways, but in his ways. And there are many way, many times, many ways I think sometimes, we can be guilty of choosing to simply read or focus on what makes us feel good or what we approve of or what maybe supports our ideas or even our agendas from time to time. And as humans, we're all prone to fall into these things at times if we're not careful. We might not even realize that's what we're doing until we sit back and stop and think about it. And so we must be careful that we're not going to the scriptures to get support simply for what we want to hear, but that we're in submission to what the scriptures say and what the scriptures are wanting to say to us. Are you with me? We need to be in submission to God's word and not assume that his word submits to us. You see, Jesus, when he was being tempted in the desert by the enemy um, for a season, he was uh, trying to be tricked into live for himself and to make his own decisions and to go against his father's will. In fact, scripture was even quoted to him, but not used properly, as we're kind of talking about today. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus answers the enemy's temptation and says this. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word, not just the ones that we want, not just the scriptures that we like, not just the ones that make us feel fuzzy, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, meaning that we have no place to be selective here. There was an evangelist who fell in the 80s. His name was Jim Baker. Anyone know who I'm talking about? I don't know what he's up to today. Um, he might be on TV again, I think, but I have no clue what he's up to today. But soon after that event happened, he ended up writing a book, and it was a biography. And he titled the book, I Was Wrong. And in that book, he talked about laying in his prison cell after he'd gone to jail for, you know, stealing money, misuse of funds, all sorts of things that he was kind of wrapped up in. 
And he found himself in jail going back to the scriptures and reading the text. And he came to this verse. And he said the verse pierced his heart because he had realized that throughout his whole course of ministry, throughout everything that he'd done, that he really had been selective about the scriptures he'd been reading. He really had chosen scriptures that supported his agendas. He'd really chosen things that supported the ideas that he cared about. And when he read the words that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God, it changed him. And it brought him into a place of being able to correct himself. You see, sometimes, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't let the message of Christ become a message that we create or that we're comfortable with. But what does the scripture say about who Jesus is? What about his message? And what does the text say about us who follow him? What does it ask of us? You see, if the message of Jesus doesn't challenge your human nature in some way, I'm going to argue that you're not really reading the true message of Jesus. Okay? And I say that to myself, and it convicts my heart. But the message of God has to challenge our human nature. Because these things don't always come natural to us, right? Sometimes we want what we want. We want what we desire. We have our preferences. We have the things that we want to see. And when God tells us to serve somebody, or when God tells us to sacrifice, or when God tells us to lay things down, sometimes that can hurt. Sometimes that can feel like tension. Sometimes we're following maybe what we want more than we think. And so the only place to turn to here now is the grain fields. Uh, any grain fields fans in the house today? Anyone? Okay. If you ever go there, I suggest if you go for breakfast, huevos rancheros. Try it, okay? But anyways, that's besides the point. But I remember when I was in college at the time, and I just moved to Saskatoon, me and a friend were going to meet up here for breakfast because I'd heard such good things about it. And I got there at 10 on time, right? Of course. No, I'm kidding. But I got there on time, and I was waiting at the front for a table. And 10.05 rolled around. He wasn't there yet. Oh, what a guy, eh? But 10.10 rolls around. Still not there. Somewhere around 10.15, I was like, wow, I better make a phone call and see what's happening, right? So I call my friend, and I say to him, hey, where are you? I'm sure I was very polite about it, right? And he said to me, well, I'm at Grainfields. Where are you? I said, I'm at Grainfields. And I said to him, well, so I started looking around. Maybe I missed him. Maybe he'd gone and gotten a seat. But I couldn't find him. I didn't see him anywhere in the restaurant. And I said, well, where are you? He's like, well, I'm at the front waiting for a table. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, I'm at the front waiting for a table. Where are you? And those of you who've lived here for 20 plus years know where this is going, right? And I hadn't realized there were two grain fields in the city, okay? And so he was at the location on Circle. And I was at the location on... 8th Street, right? And so we're sitting there playing this game. It was like the Twilight Zone going on, right? I'm like, where is this guy? He says he's right here. I'm right here. And then we were corrected, and I realized, oh, dang, there's two grain fields, and he's at the other one, right? And so I realized, all right, well, we're, I'm not where I should be. It's, it's funny how sometimes in life you think where you, sh you are where you should be, and you think you're in the right place, right? <laughs> Only to be informed or corrected or reoriented that you're really not where you're supposed to be but you just think you're there, right? And sometimes we need that correction in our life. And so where am I going with this? Well, this is where I'm going with this. It's funny sometimes you can be so convinced you're in the right place, exactly where you wanna be, but you step back and you're informed and you recognize you aren't where you need to be. And sometimes you need instruction on how to get where you need to be, okay? And I see the scriptures this way. If we remain teachable, 
And that's huge. If we remain teachable, the scriptures cause us sometimes, I think, to stop and ponder and recognize that sometimes, you know, perhaps we've missed the mark. That sometimes perhaps we're not where we ought to be. That sometimes we think we're where we ought to be. But the text directs us back to him and back to his ways and back to where God wants us to be. You see, sometimes we think we're exactly where we need to be, but perhaps we need some reorienting, perhaps we need some instruction or some fresh revelation that perhaps we aren't where we need to be. In some ways, sometimes, we could actually be far off. And this can only happen, I think, if we're willing and open to letting the message of Christ dwell within us richly. How many know that God is always teaching us throughout life, right? He's always teaching us throughout life. You see, the Bible isn't just a one-time read. You don't just put it on the shelf after you're done reading it and let it be, but it's literally life to us daily. And I, I told this little story last night when I was a youth pastor. I had a kid in my youth group. He was a pastor's kid, actually. Don't worry, not a pastor here, okay? But he was a pastor's kid. I won't list any names either. And I asked him, so what have you read in the Bible this week? What has the word said to you? And he looked at me and said, oh, I've already read it. And I was like, what do you mean you've already read it, right? I got kind of confused by that answer. And I said, oh, like you did your devotions today. Like you, you, you got into it throughout the week. He's like, no, 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 I read it once. He's like, it's, it's on the shelf. I'm reading sci-fi now, right? And I was like, what? I was like, you know, I'm sitting there like, this isn't how this is supposed to work, right? So I had to have this discussion with this young guy and let him know that the Bible isn't just something that you read once and put on the shelf and throw away. But it's literally our daily bread. It's literally something that we go to daily, weekly, gives us life, allows us to become more like Jesus. In fact, the more you read the thing, the more you recognize you have so much to learn. Amen? You have so much to be enlightened on. In Psalm 86, David was in a tough place, and this happened lots throughout his life. And he was fearing for his life. He was hiding. There were enemies after him. And he stops and prays in Psalm 86. And I came upon this somewhere about 15 years ago, and it's become a prayer for me. And David prayed this. He said, teach me your way, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever for great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. And so David is pleading to God. His enemies are after him, and he's asking for protection. But even in his plea for God's protection and help, David doesn't just focus on himself, but he points towards God. And he says, God, teach me your way. God, give me an undivided heart. God, help me to praise you. Help me to think of you. One commentator surrounding this verse says this, what would, it what, would, what would be the benefit if God only saved him from his enemies, but abandoned him to his own waywardness? You see, David was always wanting to better himself and better his relationship with God, and he knew this. In the middle of his prayer for protection, he stops and asks God that he may help him live better and know his way. Because even if God were to save him from all those outside forces, those internal things are still there. And they can do just as much or even more damage to his walk with the Lord than the things outside of him. And so David just modeled this dependence upon God. And he asked God, teach me, show me your ways. 
His dependence on God is complete, and so is his devotion to God. Save me from my enemy outside, but also from my frailty that lies within. And he knew he needed God's instruction. And so he prays this, teach me your way, O Lord. How many of you know we're all students of something, right? We're always learning. We're always processing new information. The world that we live in really wants to teach you stuff and really wants to educate you on the things that they find important. A student is someone who is engaged in learning. Now, we might not all sit in a classroom this week and have homework this week, thank the Lord, right? And uh, sorry, students, do it. Be, be diligent, okay? But... Um, <laughs> You know, but we all are learning something. We all devote our time to something. We all have our interests. We all have things that excite us. For some of us, you can tell me everything you know about sports, every league, every player. You're passionate about it. You know it. For others of us, it's video games or something like that. We know every secret passageway. We could cheat and make it look like we didn't, right? I hope you're not doing that. But, you know, in video games, you can do something like that. Maybe it's business, and you could just tell me all about that. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe you could tell me everything you know about music. But can we say the same thing about God and his word? Have we become students of his word? Are we just as passionate about knowing God's ways as we are about our own side interests? These are good things to consider. The guy on the screen, right? He just loves his crossword puzzles, always learning, always engaging something. But in order to be taught, this is huge, you have to remain teachable. You have to remain teachable. You can't close yourself off. You can't be, well, I've read it before. I know all that, right? I'm in the right place. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe the word of God wants to instruct you into something different. Do we expect that when we go to the word of God, that we will receive fresh instruction from him. Are we excited about it? Do we open it knowing that it has power to judge the attitudes and thoughts of our hearts and lead us on the path that the Lord has for us? You see, living life thinking you know everything just kind of sets you up for disappointment and misdirection. The moment we ever get content and think we know enough about God, his ways, his will, his word, is a bad place for us to be in. If our desire is for God to show us his way, then we might as well just face the fact that there's going to be some tension on the journey. There are going to be some things that war against our flesh, <laughs> that war against our natural desires. Because often his way is difficult for us. It wouldn't necessarily be our way, right? The Bible tells us that his thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts, that his ways are so much greater than our ways. And if that's the case then we have to do some surrendering to those thoughts. We have to find ourselves doing some surrendering to his ways. And it doesn't always come naturally. It's not going to act like it does. And it's not always easy. And it requires us to be intentional and to do things on purpose. And so do you make time to be in God's word throughout your week? Is it something you prioritize? Is time with God a priority? I remember our New Testament professor, Mr. Glubish, used to always ask us in class, how would, things, how would things in your life change if you decided to tithe some of your leisure time to reading God's word and spending time in prayer? How would that change things for you? How would that bring you closer to him? You see, we're all students of something. David in Psalm 119 says this. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's there so that I don't disobey or that I keep my heart following you. And there's a statement that I used to say 
I've said it before here, and I'll say it again today. And it's just this. Read what you believe or believe what you read. Read what you believe or believe what you read. Let me explain that. Reading what you believe would be like this. Do you go to the text to support what you want it to say about God? Or what you want it to say about what you believe? Or do you believe what you read? Do you go to the text and leave your preferences and your opinions and your particulars aside and just let the, the word speak to you? And just believe what you read? And what would that look like to just believe what you read? Aside from anything you bring to the table. Instead of going to the text with assumptions and even worse agendas, but just allowing God to have that final word and that final say in the scriptures in your life, what would that look like for you? Because the truth, the truth is, is that we don't read the scriptures to edit them. <laughs> Choose what we like and simply focus on that and run with it. But rather, it's more about reading the scriptures and allowing that good book to edit you and to edit me and to bring us closer to him. And so is time in the scriptures a priority for us? And some of us know about this because this is something we do when we come together here on Sunday. We let the word of God instruct us. We look to the scriptures, we teach it, we study it, we come together in groups, and we look at it even deeper. But Paul in the book of Colossians 3.16 also says to sing songs, sing praise, hymns, psalms, spiritual melodies, and these are always to be linked to a proper understanding of God's word. You see, our singing and our worship, which is a beautiful thing, and we did it this morning, and we're going to do it again, right? We praise him. We sing praises. We tell him how great he is. We bow before him. But our singing is always connected to what is revealed to us in God's word and his truth. And I love that about this church, that before we sing a song, before we approve a song, we, we just make sure that it's sound. We make sure it lines up with the word. We make sure we're not singing anything that might be us, but we, we want to sing something that's found in the scriptures. It's connected. It goes together. And so Paul tells the church to sing psalms, songs, Spiritual melodies, right? And he says to do it with thanksgiving. Do it with gratitude in your hearts. You see, the more we're grateful towards God, the easier it is to worship him, I think. And this is a big part of our worship experience in our culture. Both of these are. When we come together, we expect to be instructed and taught the message of Jesus, but we also worship him in song. And the Apostle Paul links these two things together and says they're connected. And so for many of us here, we're familiar with this because we experience it every weekend when we come together. And Psalm 95, 6 says this. It says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And this is what we should do. Sometimes it requires a change of posture. Sometimes kneeling is, is the best thing we can do. It tells God, you're great, I'm not. You must become more, I must become less. It's a posture of worship towards him. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And it's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. And we need to worship in this way. We need to worship in song. We need to give him praise. Luke 4, verse 8, Jesus answers, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so it's not just what we, what we desire, but it's what he wants. And what his word reveals. And that instructs us as we sing to him. And the scriptures instruct us to not only let the word of God dwell in us richly, but also to allow it to inform how we sing, what we sing, and in a great way, the Word of God is the authority upon which this whole service is supposed to be built on. 
You see, in ancient times, here's the thing about singing. The church often learned much of its teaching and theology from what was based in songs. And that's why the hymns, you notice, are so rich in theology. They're so rich in spiritual teaching. You see, think about if you didn't have the printing press and you didn't have your Bible with you, and how would you learn, right? You'd learn through oral tradition. But, you know, putting something to melody can really help bring it home. And when we did that series at Christmas time called Christmas Playlist, where we start to look into Christmas songs, where sometimes I just kind of sing mindlessly. I don't know if you're like me, right? But I just sing them. When I started looking into the theology and looking into the deepness and richness of the theology in those songs, it just brought it alive for me. And it was good for my heart and it was good for my soul in a, in a sense. And so the scriptures, they reveal, you know, who God is. And in that, it instructs what we sing. And so we worship together. We give God praise, and this is good. And this is what we're supposed to do. But if we come together once a week, or maybe twice, maybe you attend a group, and we study the word and worship God in song, what does this mean for the rest of our worship? What does this mean for the rest of our lives? Because clearly, three to four hours a week leaves a lot of time open throughout our weeks, right? And so how do we spend that time? Is worship literally confined to what we do at church on the weekend, or is there more to it? Well, let's read Colossians 3.17. I think it gives us instruction. And whatever, say whatever. Whatever, meaning whatever. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, and I think this ties it all together here. And you're going to see where I'm going in a second. But Colossians tells us about the word dwelling in us richly. And also about singing and coming together as the church body with, with, with gratitude, encouraging one another. But then it gives us a big instruction about whatever, whatever we do, everything. Whatever literally means whatever, okay? The Amplified Version says this, whatever you do in brackets, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, the message translation says this, let every detail of your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the master Jesus. You see, as I was studying for this message, I kept hearing something that our lead pastor, Pastor John, has been repeating to us for 20 plus years, okay? So if you've been here longer than a month, you should know this saying, okay? Say it with me. We've had church... Let's go be the church. And as I was studying this, I was like, this two verses is literally that. We've had church, and now it's time to go be the church. And sometimes Pastor John will say, we've had church, and now the important stuff starts. Let's go out into our world and be the church. And so how does this come together? Well, we worship God by getting into his word. We worship him by singing and giving praise to him. And these things are so important to do, and we should be doing them. But we also worship God every single day we have opportunity to worship him in whatever we do in everything that we do whatever you do do it all in the name of the lord jesus because it all matters to god your weekly activities matter to god your work 
matters to God. Everything is spiritual. All of life carries some spiritual connotation for the believer. Christianity isn't just about what we do on the weekend at a service, but it's very much about what we do all day, every day, and the service that we do throughout the week. And a big part of our worship is being in the Word, and it's singing, but it's also how we live when we leave this place. Amen? It's also found in our actions. How many of you are familiar with the word dualism? Anyone? I talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago. I'll bring it up quickly again. But dualism is something as believers that we have to avoid. Dualism is a term to describe a separating wall between two things. And I'll use the word sacred and secular. Okay? And I think sometimes we get this idea that when we're at church, when we're serving and doing our best at whatever, you know, at church, when we're worshiping, we're serving, we're in the word, those are sacred things. We get this idea that those are sacred things. But then we think to ourselves, when I'm at work, it's not about God anymore. Or when I'm out with my friends, or when I'm doing my thing, or I'm out doing my life the rest of the week. We sometimes call that secular. And we separate these things. We act like one thing is sacred, and the other thing is secular, so it's not as important. But scripture really has no room for this kind of thinking. It has no room for this kind of idea. You see, the Christian life isn't divided up into sacred and secular, but all of it is sacred. All of it becomes sacred for the believer. Why? Because we're living to please him in whatever we do. In everything that we do, we want to bring glory to the master, Jesus. And everything is everything. Jesus wants our everything. We make it our aim to please him in everything. And that includes even our work. You see, it's kind of funny because, you know, we spend three to four hours here a week, but then we spend 40 somewhere else, and then many more somewhere else. We cannot ever simply just think, well, this part's sacred and all that's secular. Everything has a spiritual component to it. And maybe you struggle at work, and maybe it feels blah or dark sometimes. And I can understand that, and I don't want to be too tough on that. Maybe your coworkers are difficult. Sometimes there's obstacles, and it's challenging, no doubt. But what if you began to see your job not simply as work, but rather work that you're doing unto the Lord? What if you begin to see what you're doing at the assembly line, not just as something you have to do, but something God's blessed you to do? He's given you the opportunity. He's given you the ability. He's actually given you what you need in order to perform that function. And what if instead of just seeing it as something you do to earn a paycheck, you see it as something you do unto his glory every day? And you serve him even there, as though you're serving him right there, even on the clock? What if you began to see those around you at work, not just as people who get in your way or who frustrate you or who drive you nuts, because that happens sometimes. What if you begin to see them as people you can love? What if you begin to see them as people who perhaps will see Jesus through you by the way you live in that workplace, right there on the job? And honestly, I think it's an incredible opportunity to serve Jesus and to worship him. You see, our life of faith and worship can never just be contained to a few hours in a building because many of us spend 40 or more hours somewhere else and the rest of the time we're with, we're with ourselves, we're with family, we're with friends. Worship isn't just a slow song. It isn't just a weekend service. That's part of it. But we have an opportunity to worship God with our lives and everything, everything, whatever we do. And we need to quit seeing work as though we're only working to please man. But we need to see that when we work, when we put our effort in, when we're there, 
we're, we're actually serving him because he's blessed us with that ability. He's given us that opportunity and we do it with gratitude and we worship him each and every day. You see, we have a worship, we have an opportunity to worship God when the message dwells in us, when we sing, but all this needs to translate into how we're living. It can't just stay here in this building. That's why we've had church, let's go be the church, right? Because what we take in here, it fuels us to go out into the world and live for God. We don't just compartmentalize our lives. It's not dualism. It's not one thing sacred, one thing secular. If you're there, the Holy Spirit's in you, lives in you. So even if you find yourself in a dark place, God's there because he's in you. And he's present in that situation. And so everything you do matters. How you live matters. It's not just a song and it's not just a reading of the word. But Jesus brings meaning to every action, every interaction, every activity, and every task that we do. Let me give you a quick example here. In the Old Testament, God made it clear to the prophet Amos that it wasn't simply enough to go through the motions of worship and the methods of worship in those times without allowing that worship to change your life and how you're living. And in Amos chapter 5 and verse 21, Look at the strong language that the prophet uses here to describe God's feelings to the people. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. Though you bring me choice offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. See, that's tough language, right? Those are tough words to read. And the people being spoken to here did all the right things in regards to worship, okay? They brought offerings, okay? They had festivals. They brought burnt offerings. They brought grain offerings before the Lord. And that was proper. That was a part of the worship experience in those days. They even brought choice offerings. So they brought some of the first fruits sometimes and gave it to God. And they sang songs. And they came together to do what we'll just call for argument's sake the sacraments of worship in that time. But they had missed, somehow they had missed what God was really desiring and what God was really looking for. And that was righteousness. And that was justice. And that was that they would care about what he cares about. And that's that they would have his heart for people. And they'd look out for those who are being overlooked. And they'd love people around them. And that the heart of worship would, would just be so great in their hearts. And not just about things they do outwardly. You see, they'd miss what God was really desiring and looking for. Lives that not only went through the sacraments of worship, but hearts that were changed in worship and translated in godly and fruitful lives. How many of you know the name Matt Redman? Anyone? He used to be a part of a young movement in the UK called Soul Survivor, which was led by Pastor Mike Pilavachi. And this thing got huge, and thousands and thousands of people were coming out to worship and to hear the word and to give praise to God. And over time, it kind of had gotten away from the point. And Matt Redman was getting so tired of it because it had become more about the big light show. It had become more about the fog machines. It had become more about the exciting experience and getting everyone excited and all the looks and presentation and all that stuff. 
that he recognized that they'd missed something. He recognized that they'd kind of missed the point of it all. That they were focusing just on those things, but they weren't focusing on other things. And so he wrote this song called The Heart of Worship based upon that experience. And, you know, in that song, he said, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where, where it's all about you. It's all about you, right? And, and one of the lines says, I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made it. It's, it's all about you. You know, be thankful I didn't sing that to you, okay? There's a reason I didn't sing that to you today. But the heart of worship has to be more. It's not just what we do for a couple hours a week. It's how we live our lives, whatever we do. Romans 12.1, the last verse I'm going to read this morning, says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I love that, right? How many of you know God's been merciful to you, right? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so worship 100% includes being in the word. Yes, we need to do that. The scriptures instruct us to do that. Worship includes singing. We're going to do it in a minute here. We should be doing that. We should be offering praise unto God. But worship is also very much about in view of his mercy, offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And each day, it's about what we do each and every day. And we have an opportunity to serve him in our world. Right? And so maybe today, God has spoken to you about something. Maybe you recognize that you've allowed your time in the scriptures to become kind of dry, and you haven't had the same enthusiasm. I just encourage you just to get back in that book and let it change your heart, and let it speak to you, and pray that God would speak to you as you open the pages of scripture. Maybe you've allowed worship, the singing part, to become dry, and you, you haven't fully engaged him in worship, and you haven't fully allowed him to have your heart in those moments. I, my prayer is that you would just rediscover the joy of giving him praise and, and coming before him and telling him how great he is. But maybe you've recognized that perhaps you haven't seen the opportunities throughout your week as an opportunity also to worship him. Whatever you do, the scripture says, whatever you do, do it all in the name and unto the glory of Jesus. Amen. My prayer is we be people who would do that. And in the process, be thankful because God has been good to us. Amen.